Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. It's the last Metal Matters of the year, so it's probably a good time to think about what the year ahead might bring. Luckily, uh, we at BMO released our Metals and Mining Year Ahead this week, so I can talk you through the commodity highlights of that. So, there's concern out there about global growth, and US data points thus far in Q4 definitely point to slowing. But, I tell you what, I'm actually feeling somewhat positive as we head into 2024. China's economy is showing there is life beyond peak property, with heavy investment in manufacturing both at home and abroad, and I'd anticipate another front-loaded credit impulse in Q1. Just on that, to highlight this week's China's Central Economic Work Conference, that was held to dictate the policy objectives in 2024, and what was in it? Public housing construction, infrastructure, consumer durables. They're all going to be used as growth drivers. These are metals-intensive areas. So, a stronger China, and that's starting to pull through to other emerging markets, pulling them along for the growth ride. Now, interest rate sensitive sectors in developed markets are naturally struggling. However, governments, if we look at what they're doing, they're continuing a fiscal push for greater self-sufficiency in supply chains and energy. And that's really bolstering a nascent global capex cycle. Of course, there are risks. There always are. And geopolitics and financial markets could quickly propagate cracks in the global economy. However, raw material inventory is low. Cost structures are higher and there's clear potential for strategic purchases. I'd also flag that we're not building in any value chain restocking. But given rate cuts look likely, should order books start to improve, that would give some potential upside to our base case. In terms of prices, we made about the same number of upgrades as downgrades on our one-year outview. But crucially for the sector as a whole, we've raised the larger and more important commodities, gold copper, iron or steel. And if you add coal to that, we have a portfolio of the core metals and bulk commodities set to trade at a decent premium to the cost curve over the coming year. should also highlight that we've also upgraded uranium as that nuclear renaissance continues, but reduced palladium, manganese ore and nickel for 2024. So I mentioned the gold price upgrade. I do want to talk about that a little. Our forecast has gone up by between 12 and 17% for uh, the forecast period, so that's 2024 to 27, with the annual average price now consistently above $1,850 an ounce. I firmly believe we've entered into a new era for the gold market. The jewellery and retail investment-led period ended about a decade ago when macros allocators became central to price formation in this market. Now we're entering the central bank-led era with emerging market institutions to the fore. And if we take a step back, the most important element of this is that the fundamental buyer, that price-setting buyer, has moved from a price-sensitive consumer, i.e. your, your emerging market retail investor, then to a asset-center management-sensitive asset allocator, and now to a mandate-driven, essentially price-insensitive central bank. So as global segmentation increases and central banks with large US dollar exposure start to fret about the impact of US government fiscal spending, particularly into an election year, and therefore maybe a structurally weaker dollar, the underlying push to de-dollarize and diversify holdings 
has really shifted up the agenda. Adding to this, China's influence on the gold market continues to grow. Both directly, we've seen strong central bank purchases this year, but also purchases from trust funds, from commercial banks, from consumers. And China's influence in other markets to shift away from the US dollar is still ongoing, with commodities really to the fore on this. Now, high gold prices mean that there will be some offset from consumers in terms of reduced demand, but we now expect prolonged period of prices trading at an extremely profitable level for incumbent producers, providing costs, of course, can be kept in check. Of course, we've also seen a massive disconnect in that traditional correlation between gold and real rates as the central bank era has started. And thus, we've heard the argument that real rates no longer matter. To that, I'd say two things. As soon as we see an initial rate cut, we will see an inflow of funds from macroasset allocators both into commodities as a whole and to gold specifically. That will be supportive. But also, while US real rates might matter less than before, much more gold is consumed in other regions. There's still a much better correlation between gold and real rates in China and in other emerging markets. That's the crucial thing. Since the last Metal Matters, it feels like a lot has happened in the copper market. It's strange to think that only two months have passed since LME week where expectations for 2024's uh, market were decidedly downbeat. Since then, we've had the return of supply disruption plus maiden guidance from a number of producers coming in lower than our previous expectations. And thus the, the bad year for copper in 2024, well it's not looking so bad anymore. If you add the reductions in copper guidance relative to our expectations over the past few weeks, we're now north of 750,000 tons or 3% of global copper supply. Partly, this has been from the guidance downgrades, for example, Anglo-American last Friday, dropping estimates by almost 200,000 tons for next year. But the other element, of course, has been the effective removal of Cobre Panama from the model for 2024, though we do have this returning in 2025. We now model the refined market as essentially balanced in 2024, with slight surpluses in 2025 and 26. So I've been asked a lot why, why do we not have a bigger refined deficit given the supply cuts we've seen? The simple reason for that is that inventory cover is already so low that further reductions to this are, are impractical. I don't like putting numbers out there that I don't really believe in. When inventory is this low, it can't really fall that much fuller. So we have to adjust other things and the concentrate balance has really taken the hit. Previously, we assumed a 200,000 tonne build in copper and concentrate stocks because we did have mine supply growth. Now, that's a 75,000 tonne deficit. So this could and should see fuller falls in spot TCRCs into early 2024 and increased pressure on smelter profitability. Even though we've downgraded US and European demand for next year, and remove China SRB buying from the equation leaves inventory cover extremely low, which should keep copper trading at a premium to the cost curve. And further out, we have to constrain potential demand growth via thrifting and via substitution owing to a lack of available supply. The longer term copper thesis still remains intact. It's just 2024, it's not the bad year we thought it might be. Just to finish off, I wanted to talk about some of the key thematic elements we expect for metals and bulk commodities next year, and those which are perhaps less mainstream. Firstly, as I alluded to earlier, I think we're in a nascent global capex cycle. Now, admittedly, the ability of governments to fund this on an ongoing basis, given political and fiscal constraints, 
remains a question mark, but given the rise of political patriotism, we see the intent as pretty clear. Um, and there's more than one way to get the end result. So one appreciated factor in the global economy at present is really is that dramatic pickup in China's overseas and direct investment, particularly into the ASEAN economies. You can look at this and say, well, it's offshoring of capital. But in most instances, it's going into manufacturing value chains, now partly owing to tariff structures. But it's very similar to that seen by Japan at a similar stage of development and comes as the domestic financial system in China becomes more mature. We see this as China exporting its fixed asset investment heavy and thus metals intensive model to other emerging markets to yield geopolitical influence. Now, the economic success or not of this might take a generation to play out. But for right here, right now, it gives us a little bit more confidence in global metals demand. Turning to the other side, well, overcapacity has been a quasi-permanent problem for refined metal production across a number of commodities under our coverage. And central to this has been the Chinese capacity additions and low interest rates we've seen globally, which has inhibited unprofitable capacity from exiting the market uh, as it normally might have done in any other economic cycle. Now we have interest rates falling in China and bank support for capacity additions in areas where China has the technological leadership. So we've seen a return in metals to that long-term trend of Chinese smelter domination. So this year we've seen strong growth in base metal smelting, We've seen strong growth in battery raw material processing, and we've seen persistent negative margins at Chinese steel mills. This is all unsustainable. At the end of the day, it's going to cause financial risk, but it marks a complete reverse from the supply side reform era championed a few years ago. What will we see in 24? Well, this pressure will come, but it will take the Chinese banking system raising concerns about the prevalence of non-performing loans, perhaps, to force any major rationalisation. Also, if you think about it, we have other Asian economies set to add steel and base metal smelting capacity in 2024. That means refined metal profitability could be even worse depending on the demand environment. And lastly, still keeping on the theme of China, we do see environmental concerns returning in China next year. If we think about the past couple of years, it's fair to say the focus has been more on the near-term economic boost from policy rather than the long-term environmental pledges made by President Xi. Even at the present time, like in my mind, iron and steel output is quite clearly being underreported to make mandates on paper rather than in practice. There are some signs coming through though this will change for 2024 as the wider economy moves towards a more stable footing. We've seen uh, the top CPC journal, Kishi, publishing a July speech by... President Xi outlining his views on environmental protection. It's been followed by guidelines on controlling pollution, promoting biodiversity. We've seen the Ministry of Ecology and Environment concerns over lithium production from salt lakes really being met by quite an aggressive local government response. Economic concerns are still top of the agenda, still priority heading into 2024, but we do see potential for more intermittent domestic supply restrictions on metal output as local government officials pull back from that growth at all costs mantra. As I mentioned at the start, this is the last Metal Matters for 2023. Thank you for listening to my ramblings this year and I hope you have found them at least somewhat useful. 
I'd like to wish you and your nearest and dearest a healthy and happy holiday period. I hope you get some time to recharge ahead of what I hope will be a prosperous 2024 for you, both personally and professionally. Thank you. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.